This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name's Al. This podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe that these moments, when we bring our classrooms to life, can really be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And it's those small things communicated in simple ways that we're after, communicated by great teachers who know that these practices make a difference to their students. And so the idea is that you hopefully will listen to what great teachers have to say, reflect on these practices, and think about whether it might actually work in your own classroom. And because we know our listeners are busy and time poor, we want to communicate these small lessons in a jargon-free way. This is why we have our teaching jargon buzzer. And we hit this when we hear those buzzwords that might be more at home in a teaching committee or faculty meeting. Seb, shall we introduce this week's guest? Absolutely, Al. Thank you. Our guest today, Gar Reynolds, joins us from the beautiful city of Dara in Japan. Gar used to work for Apple, but is now teaching film, marketing and design. He's also the author of multiple books outlining what he calls the Zen of presentations. And that's why we invited Gar here onto the show to talk about how to never give a boring lecture. Gar, welcome. Thanks for having me. Gar, let me start with a quote by John Medina. In his book called Brain Rule, he argued that, quote, there's no greater anti-brain environment than the classroom, unquote. And he said worse things about the unique classroom in particular. Why is the traditional classroom such an anti-brain environment? There are two ways of looking at that, because one way is just the, the physical construction of the classroom. And, you know, wherever you go, I mean, I'll go to Oxford University and there's like four or five hundred year old lecture halls, but they're very similar to some of the new ones that have just been built, you know, where you have the sort of stage far removed from where people are going to be sitting. And of course, that you know lends itself to watching a movie. So it kind of raises the question is listening to a, well, going to a class. Is that like going to a movie? where we don't ask people to participate. So the whole notion of, you know, a big lecture hall, that just physically, I would like to do away with that, you know, altogether as much as we could. I mean, I think at Oxford, for example, students don't go to so many lectures. I think there's some of that. And maybe in Australia, it's different as well. But in the United States and in Japan, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, sitting in rooms with 100 or 300 or 500 people. To me, it's just insane. And we know so much more you know, from the cognitive research that that's just not a way to actually learn something. So you got me thinking about that. But the other thing is, okay, you know, in Japanese, we say shogunai, which in French, I think is c'est la vie. I mean, that's, that's life, right? We still have these kind of lecture halls, or we might have larger classes. So what can we do then, as teachers, as professors to engage the audience? I do believe that, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but Nicholas Necroponte said uh, that famous line of good education is good entertainment and you have to engage the audience you have to you can't be boring i don't care what the subject is it doesn't mean that we're just in the the business of distracting people in the way that a lot of tv does but we do have to engage the audience whether it's with humor or with surprise or with the, you know principles of simplicity understanding how the brain works for example practically speaking uh, John Medina, who you mentioned, talks about the 10-minute rule. 
which in the online world, I think is more like the two or three minute rule, but you just have to change things. And so you can have that built into your 90 minute class, which itself is a problem because that's too long, but okay, that's what we have here. We have 90 minute classes. So built into that, I might open with 10 minutes of, of talking about something, but then there's a discussion or there's a short video after that. And then there's an activity over here and then I'm talking some more. And then maybe a student is presenting something for five minutes. You know, the point is to have variety all through that. Trying to think of someone I wouldn't mind listening to for two hours. There was someone, and that was Steve Jobs back before I even worked for Apple. But that's a very different thing. So we've come to see, you know, I was a nerd, an Apple nerd before I worked for Apple. And it's sort of, that's sort of more like a rock concert, right? So if I go to see Queen and Brian May is going to do two hours of, you know, acoustic. Well, that's okay because, you know, I'm into that. Even so, I mean, Steve Jobs kept it engaging because there was great variety. His approach was conversational. Things moved. The slides were very visual. So there's nothing like death by PowerPoint. Lots of product, of course, photos, but concept photos as well and business graphs. But everything was really interesting to, to and easy to understand. And I was always surprised. This is back in the 90s that two hours would go by, a two-hour keynote you know, about technology. And it felt like it was 10 minutes. And maybe you felt that way, you know, I don't know, the best lecture you've ever seen or could be a concert or something like that. The key is to have a great variety and try to get the participation of the audience, even if it's not real participation. For example, you know, concerts or Steve Jobs at a keynote, people couldn't actually, you know, engage, but he would do things like raise your hand if you have done this or take a minute and talk to the person next to you about, XYZ and so on. And the bigger the class, the more challenging it is, and you have to come up with little activities like that. And so, Gar, when you're designing for variety, which is a theme we talk about quite a lot, changing it up different moments at different points, when you're designing a lecture and preparing that variety, do you have a set series of conventions or rules? Do you have a number of change-ups or do you even have a, a kind of greatest hits of what works and brings the classroom to life? Humour seems to work for me, either it's planned and when it's planned, it's not usually a joke, but more like if you ever seen in the US or something called the Daily Show, mm. but any of those kind of comedy shows with their, that are like um, not really news, you know, comedy news, because they don't really tell jokes. They just say something and then juxtapose that in an ironic or surprising way with a visual. Right. And so I tend to do a lot of that kind of thing from real world things. What really works is there, is there a standout moment that you always think? I'm quite looking forward to doing this. Is there a yeah, moment I in mean, the semester that you, you, you know is going to transform? Yeah, so for me, it's, a, it's, it's you know, using short video clips that are humorous, that I know will always get a laugh, uh, but are relevant. And I try to use humor myself. So that, that it, that's, fits my personality naturally. So it's not a, a stretch to also show videos that are funny. That's, it's like a movie. So if you go to see me as a teacher, it's like a comedy movie or or not a stupid rom-com, but it's a serious movie, but in a very lighter way. So it's not surprising, right? If you went to see a very serious movie, but then there was a joke that like, what? That, that seems weird. That, that was not, didn't fit. But if you see like Star Wars, which is sort of serious, but there's every once in a while, there'll be a little kind of joke in there, like self-aware joke. Like we're, we're aware that this is, not real life. You know what I mean? It kind of makes you like an inside joke. So for me, comedy works. That's a cultural thing, but it's worked everywhere I've gone so far. 
the idea of visuals you mentioned there as well, putting up a visual with the lesson. Do you have any thoughts about you know how to use visuals and how to use them in those moments? Again, one of our, our just constant themes is the moments that open up classrooms. Yeah, I can't say that there's like a certain uh, visual that will open up a class. There's definitely visuals that will close down a class. And I see this in student presentations where you show something that, well, in Japanese we say kankenai, that it's not relevant. It's completely irrelevant, sometimes in a shocking way. So it's very disturbing. So it takes people off, off where you want to go. I recall once a student doing a presentation about something. Now I can't even remember the topic, but he had a face of the Joker, the one, he had a lot of blood and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't relevant, but he thought it was kind of funny. And all people remembered of that presentation and all they could think about for the rest of the presentation was that awful photo. So visuals are very, you know, very important. I would say if I, there's something that I know is going to like lighten up the mood, there used to be a, a clip from The Office. I used to show this 10 years ago where they talk about PowerPoint and PowerPoint's boring. One of the, I forget which guy said that, but so instead of PowerPoint, I'm going to do a fire drill. And anyway, it's just a one minute, really funny clip. And every audience always laughs about it. And it's not irrelevant because we're talking about PowerPoint and presentation. The first time I presented at Oxford for a very serious you know, audience of scientists, and they were laughing and just enjoying themselves. And the next, the whole next hour, and we got into lots of stuff, but they were just really engaging, asking lots of questions and giving comments. And I think it really had a lot to do with how I started with this is going to be fun. We're going to learn something, but it's also going to be fun. It's not going to be a boring lecture. Mm. It has to link into your authentic personality. There's no point in putting up a fun clip if you're not going to then, you know, engage and, and build something around it. It has to all sit together, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that that sits my personality. But that also raises the question, if you're going to become a professor, if you're teaching, if you're doing research, that's another thing. But if you're a teacher, an educator, I mean, there are certain things you need to be. I mean, you don't have to have a good singing voice, but you do... You do need to be that type of person. I mean, you can be introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm shy and introverted. But when I'm on stage or in front of a class, it's showtime. I, I just think that's all my favorite teachers were like that. I think they were pretty reserved people. I studied philosophy as an undergrad, but in the classroom, they were very engaging. Al, it has to be authentic to you. The um, entertainment dimension is something you had already commented on. You also commented on the need for variety to make the lecture lively, not to have it done in a boring way. But there's another key ingredient that you talk about a lot, and that is the element of doing. Many years ago, when we had so many lectures, the only time I really learned was in the lab. And I like the lab because they're smaller. You have a, you know, usually the teacher assistant who really knew the material, and you're doing things. And whether it was a physics class or a biology class, that's really when you learn. And I think at some of the better universities in the world, they do more lab-based and smaller things, right? and not that many lectures. And you know, when I was an undergrad, the professors would use the chalkboard. And so it was a blank chalkboard, so they couldn't write that fast like they do today with PowerPoint, where they just, there's PowerPoint. As they're thinking, one guy would always he's think, you know, these professors, right? Thinking he looks like Aristotle or something, and he's writing things. But these things helped. You know, even like the allegory of the cave, right? I mean, you could put up a PowerPoint on that, but that would ruin it. Why not just go ahead and draw it in real time on the whiteboard? And so that was very engaging. The professors that did that, they took their time on the chalkboard, and that really helped. 
But that has been replaced by a lot of professors just having six lines of text or 12 lines of text. That's a lot easier, right? Why do I have to keep writing on the board? I remember lecturers who basically the lecture began when they took off their jacket and lit a cigarette. Two hours later, the lecture finished and you had a broken wrist from just furiously scribbling down. And then we had overhead projectors, ripped the paper off the back of the acetate and fired it on the OHP. And now we're at PowerPoint. You've said it a few times that PowerPoint can be a bit of a killer. It can it can really get in the way. I mean, it's the way it's used. So I And I do think it does lend itself to being misused. But all it is is a, gl- a glorified 35 millimeter slide. It was invented to show JPEGs in 1987 or around, anyway, in the 80s on a Mac. That's it. Show photos. That's what it was invented for. And then PowerPoint was, well, it was purchased by uh, Microsoft. And then, you know, the rest is history. So, hey, we can put lots of text in there. And that's how people, you know, plan their talks is that they sit at the computer and they just outline everything. But that's why I always say don't do that. Instead, do analog. And that's how TV commercials and, you know, Pixar, that's how they make their movies. It's all analog paper on the wall. At Apple, we had just whiteboards. Well, the walls were whiteboard materials. So we're always scribbling out things. Even code, even the coders, the programmers would often write things constantly on the wall. What do you mean uh, with power and do it analog? But what I mean, as opposed to sitting at a computer and writing an outline, I recommend having a notebook and a paper or a whiteboard, especially a whiteboard uh, or a storyboard book to write your ideas, to sketch out your ideas, rather than sitting at a computer digitally, you know, type in uh, your ideas. There's many reasons for that including just having more space. So rather than a 15-inch screen at my laptop, I have the whole room and I can collaborate. And there's just something about physically standing up and moving around Mm. and being able to to Mm. sketch out the ideas. Mm. And then later, I can, you know, make visuals on the computer. It does feel like I do feel this if I do write a lecture or on a word processor or just smash it onto slides. It feels very one-dimensional. It feels like you're skating or firing the stone across the pond. There's just no depth or traction. Nothing gets absorbed. I love just to do it on pad and paper. Because in Japan, we're very, you know, education in the schools is very much, sorry, I use this term analog. So digital, like at my kid's school, becomes, at the fifth grade, they get iPads. So the final two grades of elementary school. But that's a bit unusual. But anyway, before that, it's all just pen and paper. Because writing kanji, Chinese characters, is so much of... Anyway, there's a belief, strong belief here, whether it's in English or Japanese, whatever, that there's something about the hand and the utensil and writing it down. And we've only been doing it for, I don't know, a few thousand years, perhaps. But there's something that works about that. We're just, you know, <laughs> doing your fingers and, and then sentences are automatically completed. Even words are completed, right, <laughs> before you even... Anyway, I mean, it's early days in that research, but my bias is I feel that's true. I don't know if it's true, but I, cer- I certainly feel much more creative and feel I have much cl- more clarity in my thinking when I get away from the computer. Mm. What are your sort of top three tips you would give for someone listening in on either being that person with variety and doing in the classroom or lecture theater or the person who is designing their PowerPoints. We're just talking about you know, getting away from technology, even though you're going to use technology to make a video for your students, for example, or to give a live lecture using 
slides or whatever to try to get away from technology as much as you can in the preparation stage. That's one. The second thing is really to commit yourself to to visualize. How can I visualize this? Whether it's using visual intelligence, what sometimes called business intelligence. In other words, charts and graphs. Charts and graphs are really, really useful, actually. And can, people can look at a chart or a graph or a photo and listen to you at the same time. But they're not really good at reading lots of text and listening to you at the same time. And then number three, I would say to be aware of the importance of presence. That is to be fully engaged, to be 100% here with this audience, which I have to always remind myself. But like today, I had a, two classes before this, and I think, oh, I had to go on this podcast. But so I'm preoccupied. What are they going to ask me? Because, you know, these guys are you know, Australians, who knows what they're going to do. So, but I force myself, okay, I just, you know, be here. This is the class. There is no other class. That's what I, I always say. This is the presentation. There are no other presentations. Wonderful, Gar. This has been uh, terrific to have the chance to chat to you and, you know, to tame your worries. I mean, you thought there was two Australians sitting at the uh, receiving <laughs> yeah. end of this podcast. I Turns out it's a German and a Scotsman. But then again, oh, you're from Oregon and you live in Japan. So we're all in the same boat. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming on our show here. And uh, for you, for those of you listening in, if you enjoyed what you heard, please check out our other episodes. And you can also find us on various social media channels. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And as always, we look forward to your company again. Thank you.